So if you look at the exposure to Evergrande, most of the exposure is within the Chinese banking system. So Canadian banks, to my understanding, have no exposure to Evergrande. Most big U.S. banks, you know, your J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, have very minimal, if any, exposure to Evergrande as well. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Alarm bells rang out worldwide this week after a major Chinese real estate developer failed to meet its regularly scheduled coupon payment. Investors were left wondering, is this China's Lehman Brothers moment? Mark Ray's Chris Heeks and Matt Montemiro discuss the latest developments in today's episode and whether the ripple effects of the Evergrande crisis will reach Canadian shores. Our experts also talk about bond positioning, low volatility as a tool for riding out market risks, and of course, the recent Canadian election. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO ETFs weekly insight call with our team of experts. I'm your host, Mark Reyes, head of product for BMO GAM Canada. I want to thank everyone for listening in today. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're joined by Chris Heeks and Matt Montemiro, both are portfolio managers on our ETF desk. Chris focusing more on the equity side, Matt on the fixed income side. So thanks to both of you for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. Morning. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. Well, we certainly got lots to cover this week. Let's start with Evergrande, which, of course, the story changed again overnight as uh, there was some expectation now that they'll be able to pay out on their, their interest payment. But news around this company certainly spooked markets to start the week Uh perhaps less so than on Tuesday and into today. Can you give us a background on this story and explain why it raises broader market fears? And then as well, bringing it close to home, staying with real estate, can you comment on ZRE, our Canadian REIT ETF? Are the risks from Evergrande applicable to an ETF like ZRE? Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Let's start with the bigger picture, Evergrande, Evergrande A or Evergrande issue to start with. So just for the background, they're China's second biggest real estate developer. So as you can imagine, developing in real estate is a big business. Um, they've got something like $300 billion of liabilities. Um, one of the things that's caused them problem is they've also forayed into other businesses that aren't their specialty. Uh, so they're, <clears throat> excuse me, they're a bit of a conglomerate. And, and as you said, um, concerns on leverage, you know, over leverage, and missing a coupon payment really, um, you know, cascaded into Monday's market. Um, they did miss a coupon payment yesterday. I think it was about $70 million. So that's kind of the backdrop of what's happening. Um, it's been written about as China's Lehman moment. Um, you know, and I think if you looked at the market reaction on Monday, um, you know, the, the market reaction was cons perhaps consistent with that, um, you know, view. Um, equities kind of globally were down in the two to three percent range. Um, you know the VIX index uh, spiked, but you know so you know there's certainly a lot of kind of a you know headline concern there. You know as 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 kind of the you know two days have passed now, 
you know, I think investors have anxiously been watching the headlines overnight to see what's happened. Um, you know, despite missing the coupon payment, I think, you know, the big picture with Evergrande is that, uh, you know, Chinese uh, government central banks have come in to support the market. Um, I think it's fair to say that China has no interest in having a Lehman moment, you know, and it's, it's um, you know, it's just, you know, to allow a, a company of the size of Evergrande with their exposures within the Chinese company to Chinese, uh, you know, country to fail, you know, would be, you know, a significant um, economic impact for, for, for that country and, and would set them back. And, you know, that that's in the hard landing scenario. So, um, you know, if there's one thing I think we've learned since COVID is that, you know, government stimulus, you know, can really play a significant role. Um, it's something that's really kind of been front and center since 2008. Um, and is continuing and even, you know, even more perhaps important today. So, you know, I think it's in China's best interest to intervene and that's what they've been doing. And, you know, just as of last night, they put in another $20 billion to Chinese banks. So if you look at the exposure to Evergrande, most of the exposure is within um, the Chinese uh, banking system. So, um, you know, Canadian banks, to my understanding, have no exposure to Evergrande. Um, most big U.S. banks, you know, your J.P. Morgan, Citigroup have, have very minimal if any exposure to to Evergrande as well. Um, so what you've seen China do is, um, you know, the intervene is, is just to, to shore up the capitalization of the banks that do have exposure to, to Evergrande. And, you know, I think the market, to your, to your point, Mark, is, is taking this as a big positive that um, a sign that the government will intervene to, to ensure that there's, you know, an orderly, uh, perhaps restructuring of Evergrande. Uh, but, you know, but in orderly sense to the moment. So, you know, great article this morning I read by John Authors. Um, so I'll give him some credit there. Um, and he says, you know, good news, Evergrande is not the Lehman moment, um, is was his conclusion. <clears throat> um, but there are still some concerns on Chinese debt overall. So, um, you know, again, uh, Chinese debt's pretty high. Evergrande is not the only company with a high level of debt. You know, Chinese debt is is um, corporate debt's kind of in excess of 150% of GDP. So it's something investors have to be aware of. Um, but then again, back to the good news is you've got a government willing to to help support that market and intervene um, to avoid, you know, real economic you know, catastrophe might be strong, but you know, real significant down downsides to to the economy. Um, so I think that's very much a good news story. Um, it's been welcomed. I see European markets today on Wednesday, they're up about a percent. U.S. futures are, are up as well. Um, so the market is taking some, uh, you know, quite a bit of solace there. You know, in terms of like what should investors do? You know, I think we've been talking on this call a lot about low volatility. I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later as well. Dividends, quality, you know, on the equity side, um, you know, you know, minding your risk exposures, and those are some great solutions to get a little bit of uh, defensiveness into your beta exposure. You know, I think certainly minding your asset allocation is always, um, always, um, you know, important. Um, probably not the right time for weight. Um, so just mind your levels there, um, and we'll see how it plays out. But I do think you know the the de the developments of of what the government has done have been. Um, you know, have been positive so far and, um, you know, the market's reacting accordingly. And <clears throat> so sorry about that. That was a bit of a long answer, um, to, to the Evergrande, but I think it's, you know, it's a, it's an important, um, you know, very meaningful, uh, risk out in the market, you know, cycling back to the ZRE question. Um, 
there was some impact to that, Arisa. If you looked at, you know, let, let's look at the market reaction is always a good barometer of, of what investors are thinking. Uh, REITs were down a little bit more than the broad market uh, on Monday. So they were down 1.7 with the broad down 1.5. So nothing untoward, um, but, you know, a little bit less in fairness, um, less return. So, um, you know, Evergrande, you know, to my knowledge, doesn't have, you know, significant exposure in Canada. They're not really involved with projects in Canada. You know, but, you know, the counterpoint, I think, would be that, you know, we do know that, you know, Chinese buyers, Hong Kong buyers, they're a source of demand, um, you know, in the Canadian housing market. Um, and if you look at the performances that are had a little bit more reaction than global REITs. Um, I think overall, China's got a little more sense, or sorry, <clears throat> I should say Canada has a little more sensitivity to a China uh, slowdown than perhaps the U.S. Um, that, that point could maybe be debated. Um, but But overall, you know, you saw REITs again. Um, that move on Monday was, was, was followed by Tuesday. They, they bounced back pretty sharply on Tuesday. So I think investors fears are, are pretty regulated. Um, yeah, I'd say revaluation is pretty fairly valued right now. It's a great source of income. It's, you know, ZRE is yielding about 4% net. Um, it's probably, you know, maybe not the screaming buy it was uh, a few months ago when it was like really noticeably undervalued relative to other sectors. But, you know, still, I think it's a very fair valuation and, um, you know, minimal direct exposure to to Evergrande. So, yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll, I'll turn it back to you there, Mark. Um, sorry for taking a long time, but the big, big questions there. <laughs> Thanks for that, Chris. No, it's great to, to get into the details because I'm sure the news out of China has been uh, dominating every every conversation that advisors and, and clients have been bringing to the table. So appreciate that. So let's let's move on to bond yields. Uh, you know, and if we look this week, bond yields have actually been fairly stable despite that equity volatility. So Matt, what do you make of the Canadian market using ZAG? And to tie it in, looking forward, how do you see the Fed and BOC acting? you know, if at all, through the remainder of 2021. Thanks. Yeah, the markets definitely had a scrambling on Monday. I think there's a lot of, you know, how bad could this get? I think Chris did a great job of, of explain, explaining the uh, Evergrande crisis and, and the potential impact that I think a lot of uh, investors were looking at on Monday. You know, was that going to be, you know, we were getting some flashbacks of, of is this going to be China's, uh, uh, Lehman Brothers moment, and and you know, think Chris uh, gave a great rundown of you know, hopefully it's not, and, and I, I think you know Tuesday and, and coming into t- today, the markets were relatively muted, which is a positive sign and, and definitely a relief uh, overall. Um, you know, all through this, fixed income was relatively flat. You know, we did see spreads uh, widen out uh, to start the day. I think that was just kind of that risk off tone. Um, but then they they slowly came back in throughout the day, you know, basically being unchanged uh, to start the week. You know, this is a, the type of blip and the type of volatility in the equity markets that I think we've been talking about for quite some time. You know, Chris had mentioned low volatility investing and, and trying to to kind of ride uh, some of that uh, increased um, volatility and protect yourself. And and I do think that. You know, we we do expect increased volatility. It's it's more of a if uh, it's not sorry. It's more of a when and not necessarily if it comes this fall. And I think that's exactly why you know having fixed income in your portfolio is prudent and it helps you navigate these uh, challenging times when we do see spikes of of 
volatility in the equity markets. Uh, you know, this is where Zag, I do think, thrives in providing that type of exposure. Uh, it provides exposure to long duration bonds, which really provide that ballast in your portfolio to keep you afloat when uh, equity markets get volatile, equity, equity markets get scary, and that's where your asset allocation really comes in to help you. You know, I think short term, Zag is going to be an excellent allocation uh, and an excellent way to get exposure across the curve and definitely protect yourself from some of that downside risk, uh, giving yourself some of that long duration exposure to, to really provide that offset. You know, I think although longer term, you know, I do think we believe that the, the trend is rising rates. So you may not want to put on that long duration exposure. I think Zag is perfectly suited for the short term to manage this potential and upcoming volatility. Um, you know, I think Zag gives you that exposure across the curve that, that is really helpful uh, in, in times of uncertainty. You know, I think longer term, if you wanted to look to shorten your duration, I think that was prudent. But I think in the current environment for the risks that are coming up in the short term, I think Zag is very, very well suited. You know, uh, I think uh, the volatility in the market uh, this week, do I think it's going to change you know, any plans of the Bank of Canada or the Fed? You know, the short answer is no. You know, I think uh, the longer answer, you know, I'll start with the Bank of Canada. You know, they've been very prudent with the elimination and tapering of their bond buying programs. Uh, you know, they've been very, very successful at reducing QE without really impacting markets in a material way. It's been quite impressive how they've been able to remove a lot of QE, not all of it, but a lot of QE uh, with, with very little impact. And that, that, that shows a lot of resilience right now in the Canadian market. Um, and I expect the Bank of Canada to continue on this, this kind of prudent path uh, in October and, and really be start to begin that reinvestment phase of, of their bond purchase programs. You know, a couple of worries on the horizon. I do think uh, inflation did surprise in August, uh, which is definitely a concern. But again, I don't expect this one print uh, to force the Bank of Canada to change its course. They, they've uh, stead strong that it is. Uh, they believe it's transitory and pandemic in, in, infused, and we'll, we'll see if that kind of continues. But I don't think anything or the volatility this week has caused them to change their course or change their thinking going forward. You know, from a rate perspective, I think mid 2022 seems to be the forecast uh, of the of the and the expectation from the Bank of Canada as the earliest time we've seen any sort of rate action, you know, they'll be obviously monitoring how inflation continues to track. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they're forced to act uh, act sooner. But I think right now, I think the, the forecast still remains, you know, rising rates mid-2022, and I don't expect them to change any of their QE decisions um, because of this week or because of any uh, potential volatility coming forward. Looking down south, uh, a little bit more topical today, as, as we'll have uh, some comments from the Fed uh, later this afternoon. Um, you know, again, I don't expect this week to have changed anything from, from that perspective. You know, I do think that they may want to stick handle the messaging so that they you know, don't necessarily spook markets. But I, I think it's quite clear that, that tapering is coming. It's a matter of when and not if. Uh, consensus seems to be about November, December. So, you know, we're not looking at an immediate taper, uh, but it's, I think the, the entire market expects it to come and, and, and assumes that, you know, I think at this point, the market probably needs a little tapering. So I think their wording would be, uh, you know, a little bit of a soft 
cones just to make sure that they're not, you know, adding any extra, um, you know, volatility into the markets. But I think for the most part, I think we're, we're, we're status quo, keep moving forward. Um, you know, looking at the Fed in terms of rising rates, uh, they're still looking for the second half of 2022. Again, you know, volatility is here. Uh, you know, it's something to, to, be, to, to be monitored and concerned, but I don't think anything that's happened this week or potentially anything that's, that's on the horizon uh, is going to change either the Bank of Canada or the Fed's uh, current sentiments. Now, it'll be interesting to see how the comments uh, are digested by the market overall, but I expect that tapering to, to start in the U.S. kind of later this year with rates rising, you know, probably at the end of uh, 2022. Great, thanks for that, Matt. And you know what's interesting is we as we talk about markets, we can't ignore, of course, the fact that we're clearly now in the fourth wave, and you know, COVID seems to be an ongoing struggle that I know we all have fatigue talking about, but it's certainly front and center, and they've got to be careful about you know backing off any market support. You are listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Check out episode 83 in the same podcast series where Brian Belsky, Chief Investment Strategist at BMO Capital Markets, introduces his new U.S. all-cap strategy. This exciting new ETF, ticker ZACE, ZACE, helps you invest across all market cap exposures to capture growth in companies both big and small. Now, with market risk, as you say, coming back into advisor conversations, I thought it would be good to touch on our low volatility ETFs, perhaps focusing on ZLB or Canadian low vol as the example. Can you comment on year-to-date performance, but as well uh, speak to more recent performance uh, with, with more volatility in the market? Thanks. Oh, thanks, thanks, Mark. I think Monday it's Kind of a silver lining because, you know, personally, I don't want to see equities down two, three percent. But uh, on days like Monday, you certainly do see the power of low volatility investing. So uh, being invested in equities that are more defensive in nature versus cyclical and, you know, across our suite, whether it was ZLB, you know, US, EFI or, or even EM, um, you saw all the low balls with pretty, pretty meaningful outperformance on Monday. Um, so, you know, if we focus on ZLB, uh, broad broad index actually rallied about a bit back at the end of the day, finished only down 1.6 uh, to close Monday, uh, but the ZLB was down 0.7%, so um, almost a percent of alpha. So those, you know, again, that's that's one of the reasons why we designed the portfolios the way that we do is to give you know capital preservation relative to broad markets, um, you know, when broad markets are experiencing the volatility. Um, you know, I think a ZLB is a great tool, um, as you said, with with heightened risks. And I don't want to, you know, sound too, too, um, you know, apocalyptic or you know anything like that. But there's certain, you know, certainly risk has definitely come back to the advisor conversation. And you know, what the China one, I think, was somewhat ex- unexpected. Um, tapering been expected. COVID has, you know, somewhat been expected as well. So, you know, there's a lot on the table. And and again, these solutions can really help manage that risk. Um, you know, in terms of ZLB, just just to hone in on that one, you know, really happy with its performance this year. Um, ZLB is up 18%, and that matches the return of of, of our of our broad index, our ZCN um, TSX Composite. 
ETF. So, you know, again, these these tools are meant to really um, outperform when the markets are negative um, sometimes and then, you know, kind of give a good market level of return when markets are positive. But, you know, when the market's up 18 percent through, you know, nine, not even nine months of the year um, to keep pace with that, we're very happy uh, with that. And it shows you that you don't necessarily always have to sacrifice on returns. And ZLB's got a great track record of of, of delivering strong returns as well as that risk defensiveness. Um, you know, some of the factors kind of playing into that, um, you know, one big factor last year was the performance of Shopify. So we saw ZLB low volatility lag a little bit because it didn't hold uh, Shopify, which is a high beta, more of a high risk name. You know, Shopify, I think, is still a great company, but we've seen its returns um, somewhat moderate compared to, you know, the last couple of years. That's helped ZLB. Um, some of the materials have been a little bit on the weak side. And again, ZLB tends to be underweight materials. And you've seen investors, you know, again, perhaps in this, you know, atmosphere of risk, um, gravitating back into lower risk and higher quality stocks. Um, you know, as of the last few months, and that's something that benefits uh, ZLB. So, um, yeah, definitely think it's it's had great performance this year. You know, in this in the, the sporadic, you know, sporadic episodes of volatility. You know, it's it's done what we expected to do, and 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 you know, as a consequence, you know, should volatility, you know, kind of continue into the fall, you know, think this is a, an important tool. So, um, you know, think all of the low volatilities could be, you know, a, a um, a great tool for advisors and, and ZLB in particular, um, you know, I think doing pretty much um, everything that could be asked of it in terms of return, but also managing risk, which is very important. So um, definitely a, a good one to consider for portfolios. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And good to hear that it's been keeping up even in these uh, obviously very strong markets. Now, it's surprising to me that we're getting to this at the end of the call, but of course, we did have the Canadian election on Monday night, uh, which it looks like it's resulted in another liberal minority, so more of the same. However, clearly there was election promises made. So anything that you would highlight from their election platform, and could you take an ETF uh, to put that idea to work? Thank you. Yeah, I can take this one, Mark. And now, I thought it was quite a, a wild election result. You know, we, we, we talk all these things about change and, and looking at uh, all the platforms only to see the results, you know, which are almost virtually unchanged from 2019, give or take a seat or two. So that, that to me, was uh, quite eye-opening to see how the, the, the results of the election um, ended up being, you know, not much has changed since 2019 from, from an electoral perspective. You know, we have a liberal minority, a conservative opposition. And, you know, I think one of the positives to take away from it is that, you know, this minority government was actually quite effective at working together over the last uh, two years to get things done. And uh, it seemed uh, it seemed to be working quite well from that perspective. So, you know, I think that's a positive looking forward in terms of, uh, you know, I'd hopefully getting uh, you know, a, a functioning and constructive uh, government that can enact policy. So that's something that's positive going forward. So in terms of policy of, of, of um, the Liberal government, uh, I, see, I do see two themes that could emerge and uh, from an investment perspective. So that first theme is clean energy. You know, the Liberal Party was quite aggressive with uh, their clean energy policy, uh, you know, net zero emissions by 2050, 
uh, $170 per ton carbon tax by 2030, uh, all very ambitious targets. Um, and this was probably one of the bigger differentiators between the platforms, their, their, their stances on clean energy. You know, although Canadian elections won't move the needle globally in terms of, uh, of, of pushing this clean energy theme, I do think that the theme and, and the trend is clear. You know, there's, there's going to be a focus, regardless of the government, on reducing carbon emissions. You know, even, you know, looking at the conservatives, which are, tend to be a little bit more fossil fuel friendly, uh, you know, they even had, you know, a, a carbon tax of $50 per ton. You know, showing that this theme is going, it is going to be and has been embraced across the spectrum. It's, it's kind of like table stakes at this point. You know, and and for me, looking at it from an investment perspective, you know, I would expect that this theme is also echoed across the globe, where there is just a better, uh, a more realization as to you know some of the impact we have on the environment, and uh, you know, I think globally a, a um, drive to reduce carbon emissions as a whole. So to invest in this theme as, as something like a mega trend that we're looking over the next five, ten, fifteen, twenty years. I look at something like Zed Clean, which provides our global clean energy exposure. You know, it allows you to get in now for a theme that seems like it's going to be topical for the next several decades. You know, I think the fact, just looking at, you know, the liberals and the conservatives, they both had carbon reduction targets. You know, that should tell you that, you know, the direction we're moving in. And I think that's echoed globally. So, you know, looking at something like Zed Clean is a, is a, is a good way to, to identify a megatrend get in early because, you know, I, I think for the, for if, if these, this trend politically continues, you know, you're going to see that adoption of clean energy increase, which is going to be, uh, would be in strong performance uh, from something like Zed Clean. The second theme that I would identify, that's something that stuck out to me, uh, would be inflation in terms of the inflation fears that I, I think that they're going to be tested with, uh, with this uh, liberal minority. You know, the Liberals, I think with the NDP support, I think it, it makes sense that they're going to increase fiscal stimulus across the board. You know, given the abundant disposable income that we see, excess savings rates, you know, a tight housing market and, and apparent labor shortages, you know, I do think additional fiscal stimulus could bring further inflation pressure. You know, so we're already above target. The Bank of Canada is, is said it's keeping its, its course to eventual uh, policy normalization. Um, I do think that additional fiscal spending could lead to that, uh, that this dilemma, you know, inflation versus rising rates sooner than the Bank of Canada potentially would want to act uh, or, or before it would naturally intend on acting. So I do think that's a risk and that's something that, uh, could be an inflation or uh, uh, investment theme coming out of this election. So, you know, to protect yourself against this potential Canadian inflation, uh, you can look at something like ZRR. You know, that would protect, uh, provide investors with inflation protection uh, in a long duration exposure, which it, it's given the short term kind of volatility that's expected in the market, could be a nice uh, complement right now, short term to. to to provide inflation protection while also long duration exposure to, to mitigate the risk of some uh, equity market volatility. So I do think that ZRR could be something uh, that could be added to a portfolio and have uh, quite a few gains coming out of, of, of this election and, and uh, for 
to, to navigate some potential inflation fears, as well as some equity market volatility in the portfolio. Great. Thanks for that response, Matt. And again, so much going on this week. It's remarkable to me that the, uh, the election here at home falls to the bottom of the list. Lots of great topics covered today. So with that, I think we're running out of time. So I want to thank everyone for listening in today. We certainly appreciate you doing so. I want to thank both Matt and Chris for your great answers. A lot of good insights going around the globe, uh, starting with China and bringing it back closer to home. So really appreciate that. Certainly your insights will help with advisor conversations and, and everyone's day-to-day activities. With that, I want to thank everyone one last time for listening in and have a great day. Thank you to Mark Reyes, Chris Heeks, and Matt Montemuro for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the downstream impact of the Evergrande story, strategies for dealing with higher volatility, and the policy implications of a minority Canadian government. You also heard about ZRE, the BMO Equal Weight REITs ETF, ZAG, BMO GAM's Aggregate Bond ETF, and for North American, low vol exposures, ZLB for Canada and ZLU for the U.S. For more information about the other ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.